First you told us only through you could we know God And if we dared to question, he wouldn't spare the rod For you we worked the soil, for you we dug the moors For you we shed our blood and fought so many pointless wars Now you try to tell us there's nothing we can do You say the world around us belongs fairly to the few But about six billion people no doubt will agree This world is our home not your property, it's the commons, our right of birth. And you who would enclose the land all around the earth, our future is your downfall when we cut this ball and chain. You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain. The opinions expressed on corporations and democracy are those of our guests and of the hosts and not necessarily of the management of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. Good evening and welcome to Corporations and Democracy for February 17th, 2022. This is the program that examines how corporations dominate our democracy and what citizens are doing to replace corporate dominance with true democracy. I'm Steve Scalmanini with co-host Annie Esposito. Today's program will look at a local issue in the county that's been pending for 20 years. The Noyo headlands that overlook the Pacific Ocean, adjacent to and actually contained in the city of Fort Bragg, have been the property of several lumber mills for over a century. Over that hundred years, ownership has passed from the Union Lumber Company, the mill's original creator, to the Boise Cascade Company and to the Georgia Pacific Company, a subsidiary of Coke Industries, who ran it for the last few decades. Georgia Pacific closed the mill in 2002, leaving behind various environmental hazards that remain unresolved. In the 20 years since then, the Mendocino Railway, Railway Company, which owns the skunk train, has obtained various properties that make up the mill site. In 2019, the railway purchased 77 acres, which is the North Mill site, and just last November, the railway obtained, apparently, uh, 272 acres, which is the South Mill site, and that was via, via a eminent domain lawsuit. And so uh, the status of the mill site and the, uh, the ceded 272 acres uh, at the South Mill site, that was in November, that was via this eminent domain lawsuit. That's been discussed here on KZYX on two programs a few months ago. November 26th, Alicia Bales interviewed the vice mayor of the city of Fort Bragg, Jessica Marcel Hay, on the program Byline Mendocino. And a week or so later, on December 8th, Karen Audubon interviewed Robert Pinoli, the president and chief executive officer chief executive officer of Mendocino Railway, which again owns this train, and which again purchased the 77-acre North Mill site in 2019 and supposedly obtained the 272 acres of the South Mill site just a few months ago in November. So in today's program, we'll be discussing the situation with two members of the community on the North Coast who are not associated with either the city of Fort Bragg or the Mendocino Railway, but are associated with the Mendocino Grassroots Institute. We'll be speaking with George Reinhardt and Jim Tarbell, 
both of whom have been active in community affairs on the North Coast for many years. George moved to the coast in 2003 and immediately got involved in the millside issues. He comes from a family of environmentalists and is excited about the potential for environmental restoration, climate mitigation, and regional economic benefit that will follow. And he lives just north of Fort Bragg. Jim Tarbell has researched and written about economics, ecology, and politics for 50 years. Besides authoring two books, he co-edited Ridge Review Magazine, and he co-hosted this same radio program, Corporations and Democracy, over its first decade, 1998 to 2008. Since 2005, he has edited the publication Justice Rising, Grassroots Solutions to Corporate Power. That's published by the Alliance for Democracy. In 2015, he co-founded the Grassroots Institute that promotes community solutions to some of our most intractable problems. And he lives in Casper. So let's have a look at the future of the Know Your Headlands and the former Georgia Pacific Mill site from the point of view of some interested in the public. George Reinhardt, welcome to Corporations and Democracy. Thank you, Steve and Annie. Uh, it's great to be here. I look forward to our discussion tonight about the great possibilities for the Noyo Headlands. And Jim Tarbell. Welcome. All right. Welcome well, it's nice to be here, Steve. Nice to be back on Corporations and Democracy. It's great that you both have carried on. You and Annie have carried on so nicely over all the years, and I look forward to our discussion here tonight. That's great, though, to have you here uh, again, still, I should say. So, Jim and George, you've both been involved with community environmental groups who care about the coastland, going back to fighting off oil rigs and, and, and trying to win use of the headlands for the public. Um, Jim, do you want to start by saying something about the Grassroots Institute and what that has to do with the, the headlands and the former mill site? Oh, sure. Um Grassroots Institute is a entity I started, or I helped start with uh, other people, mainly uh, Kerry Durkee, uh, around uh, corporate power and uh, uh, money and politics, and uh, kind of a, a you know, another branch of the corporations and democracy sort of idea. And we ran a couple of uh, classes here on the coast in Ukiah and Willett at, at Mendocino College called. Uh, uh, grassroots solutions to corporate power, and then we we did other classes. We did classes on building the economy for the common good, and this started in about 2015. But most recently, we have uh, started taking on a lot of local problems. For a long time, we realized we were studying, but at some point, we said, you know, you got to stop studying and, and get to work and, and get some action done. And so now we have we have eight working groups. Um, uh, working on different problems from water to climate crisis to uh, the mill side. And, and I had worked with George for years on the mill side, and George had become very involved in the Grassroots Institute, and so it was just natural that we would uh, kind of ramp up this topic uh, because it's a huge community uh, topic and situation that needs to be dealt with. And, George, what, you want to tell us what nudge is? <laughs> I'd be happy to, Annie. Uh, NUDGE is the Noyo Headlands Unified Design Group, and we are a small uh, local nonprofit that's working with other nonprofits and interested people here to try to um, develop a sustainable, um, green, forward-thinking 
development uh, idea, or I really should say restoration before development, but our vision is that the uh, Noyo Headlands can really be a shining jewel rather than the rather tarnished uh, mess that Georgia Pacific left this community. And uh, it really requires um, a proper cleanup, which has not been completed in all these 20 years um, because of the bad behavior of the property owner. And now we find ourselves as a community um, facing a real pernicious land grab that was probably engineered by Georgia Pacific in the first place. And um, we are working with other community groups like the Fort Bragg Headlands Consortium, the GRI, and many, many interested parties um, to try to reverse this land grab and also um, position Fort Bragg for a prosperous and environmentally sound future. Thank you. Okay, and then before Nudge in the current generation, shall I say, uh, am I correct that there was a North Coast action was involved at some point? Is it 10, 20 years ago, something like that? Absolutely. Um, when the mill was first closed, it was closed in um, 2002. Mm-hmm. And when the mill closed, there was nothing but silence uh, from the city at large, though many in the community, and uh, especially under the leadership of North Coast Action, which was a terrific organization with people like David Russell, Loey Rosencrantz, Thais Mazur, and others, um, Sheila Frerichs. There were many good people who were in this organization who were saying, what the heck is going to happen on the mill site? Where, when are we going to learn about the toxins? Because it was obvious that there were going to be toxins out there because it had been a mill site for well over 100 years. And so the community was looking for answers. GP was completely... Uh, tight-lipped. The city was not asking any questions. A lot of us um, are disappointed that the city was playing um, possum at this time. And so uh, North Coast Action started having public meetings, and they were a terrific beginning to what has become a two-decade community battle to get a bad-acting corporate landowner to do the right thing, and um, I really want to praise North Coast Action for that early work that got us started. Uh, a couple years after they got going, so they were they were even uh, talking openly in 2003. By 2004, Jim and I had joined with North Coast Action, and other people had, and we decided it was time for uh, a new group that was visioning about the future as well as pressing the issues of cleanup. So that's when Nudge came into being um, in late 2004, and we've been active on mill site issues ever since. Okay, I was just jotting jotting down. I know that they're late 2004 then, so when Nudge came along. So there's a little more history I want to recap here, and then we can talk about a little more in depth about some of the some of the recent events. But uh, so again, 2002 is when the mill site closed, and then the next event that uh, I think was relevant is the purchase of 77 acres of the what's called the North Mill site, and that was in 2019, so two and a half years ago. Um, that is an part. 
where there was milling done there, and that was a toxic area. And some remediation has been done. Maybe all remediation has been done. I do not know the answer to that, but certainly some has. And uh, can you tell us some about that uh, that status of that property there? Well, it is um, in the hands of the Mendocino Railway Company. It is a area that has land use covenants and deed restrictions um, because the remediation was always done under the premise that there would not be um, housing in certain areas because the cleanup, uh, the people responsible for the cleanup, the people paying Georgia Pacific, didn't want to do proper cleanups. So they were leaving toxins in place and saying, well, we'll just put on deed restrictions and land use covenants so that in perpetuity this land can never be sold for residential or anything that would have a lot of human activity or a commercial establishment, for instance. So there are a number of questions, um, even about those 77 acres, that need to be examined very closely when the uh, Mendocino Railway Company blithely talks about putting rails everywhere, throwing up a luxury hotel. They have lots of talk about uh, building residences. They really are going to have to um, face the music here because parts of that 77 acres are not buildable. Then, you know, recently they purchased from Tom Honer from um, uh, Spring Pond Properties, 15 acres right across from the Starbucks area, and they've been blithely talking about in the public about putting up a big um, new um, train depot there. Well, this is ludicrous. It's never going to happen. Of the 15 acres that they purchased, only about five acres is ever going to be allowed because of ESHA and all sorts of environmental things that they're not going to be able to get around. They're never going to be able to build that depot there, and um, they're never going to be able to, you know, connect that depot with the other parts of the rail. So this is like the first part of this conversation where you're going to hear me express uh, my amazement that some of the things they're saying are just not based on facts. Okay, so that that involves this uh, 77 acres purchased two years ago, two and a half years ago, 2019. That's the North Mill site. And then you mentioned 15 acres. I actually don't know where those are in relation to North versus South over there. That's got They're the- right in the middle, directly across from Starbucks. It's the only place that still has trees, and that's one of the reasons they're not, you know, they still have a lot of vegetation that's mm-hmm. protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all of it is protected, but some of it is, and... Um, their comments about about what they're planning to do there are pretty ludicrous, frankly. Mm. Well, we can get into that a little bit, uh, a little bit more. But I want to go to a, another date, which is last. I think I believe it was late November. That's when a this uh, um, eminent domain lawsuit was uh, was completed, and 272 acres of the South Mill site. 
was uh, ceded or whatever the word appropriate word is uh, to also the Mendocino Railway by GP. And and that at the same time, within days, a week or so, of that something uh, very close by is when this uh, this um, flyer, sort of, I call it a newspaper style flyer, was mailed to many local residents, maybe around the county. I don't know how far it went, but anyway, a flyer uh, extolling the you know plans for the future there and talking about the skunk train and this kind of thing. So, uh, and then my understanding is that toxics uh, definitely remain. On, in the 272 acres, uh, regardless of whatever cleanup has been done, some partial cleanup or maybe more on the north uh, mill site, but the south mill site still has plenty of toxics, toxics remaining. Uh, can you expand on that uh, some for us then? Well, there's there's a couple of things that I would. Um, I th- Jim, you want to go for it? No, I'm no. To my, you, you go no, ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say the that, toxics more than I do. Well, and and the issue, the issue here is. Um, I think I was a little bit uncomfortable, Steve, when you jumped up to uh, the purchase in um, in 2019. Because mm-hmm. along the way, there have been many very important dates. In 2010, we had a hugely attended great meeting about daylighting the creeks and all the different options. But you're absolutely right that throughout all this time, GP has systematically and in very in a very deliberate fashion avoided the most expensive cleanups the most toxic sites the most dangerous places out on the mill site and they're not all over but they're very uh, clearly identified on the maps from the state department of toxic substance control and they include the mill pond and other ponds down below. And um, you're absolutely right, Steve, that um, the southern part of the property holds these most toxic sites. But it's not all toxic either. This is one of the interesting things. Is there's kind of um, there's kind of an ostrich quality the way some people talk about. It. They don't want to talk about it, and if you do talk about it then they start saying things like the whole site is is polluted. That's not the case as far as we know, but uh, there is some serious um, cleanup that needs to be done, and it's going to be very expensive. And the ludicrous number that um, Mr. Pinoli uses of having a couple of million dollars to take care of the cleanup is really not going to be adequate. Well, the the number three and a half million has been mentioned yeah. on the air previously. Not uh, nearly enough. I, I do not know the source of that. And from my point of view and the point of view of, say, you know, me on the, on the radio program here, it's like, well, three and a half million, whatever, call it any number you want, but what happens if that's not enough? And so that's yeah. that's my thinking about this, this, this general so, issue. Steve? Yes. Steve, you you missed another very important date, okay. and that, and that important date is 2005. Because mm-hmm. in 2005, the Georgia Pacific Corporation was bought by Coke Industries, right? You do, which, yeah. which was owned, of course, by uh, the Coke brothers, and uh, and they're really who we're dealing with. And they when they came in, they replaced almost all the top top executives in Georgia Pacific, and wow. and George and I uh, met with them, and they were you know they're in control. Whatever has happened out of that mill site is not about Georgia Pacific so much as it is about what the agenda is for Coke Industries. Mm-hmm. And Coke Industries, you know, for years has uh, MP 
impinged on local politics and and manipulated things and um, sued and tried to avoid cleanups. It's a entire history that is uh, just disgusting. That's who we're dealing with, really. Yeah. You know, when you we talk about we're dealing with Georgia Pacific, we're really dealing with Coke mm-hmm. and who they are and what their agenda is and what they believe they have a right to do, which is essentially anything. Mm-hmm. Right, Jim. Thank you. That's very important clarification. Let me take a couple of seconds and mention that there was someone trying to call in more than once just a few minutes ago. We'll be taking calls. I expect to be taking calls starting around the bottom of the hour. So, uh, and that'll be uh, the normal number here is at uh, 895-2448, but but I won't be answering until we reach that point somewhere around the bottom of the hour. So, speaking of the community meetings in you uh, that have been held over the uh, over the years, um, what could you tell us about you know the level of community acceptance of what the plans are right now? At least the plans that have been published in this newsletter that uh, went out. Well, that those plans are uh, just something that the Mendocino Railway, the Hart Brothers, came up with. You know what happened was that. For years, I think that Coke did never really want to develop the property. Uh, they acted as if they did. Uh, for about five years, there was a very active community planning process, and uh, Coke eventually in 2012 came up with a plan that was ready to take to the Coastal Commission, and uh, the Coastal Commission came up here to, to review the whole property. Just before that, GP dropped out of the uh, planning process entirely and never really got back into the planning world. So... What the Koch brothers, what the what the Hart brothers have done at, at Sierra Energy and Sierra Railroad is they've just taken essentially the GP plan from whatever it was uh, 2012, mm-hmm. and uh, which was really never vetted by the public very much because it never got to that point where it was a, a publicly vetted project. They were just getting ready to do the EIR and uh, all the reports and all the community feedback on that. So uh, that's just their plan, and that for them to say that it has great community support is just fallacious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then let me let me uh, explain this a little bit, uh, Steve, if I may. Mm-hmm. This whole process of cleanup and um, you know fulfilling their requirements to make it a legal piece of property that they can then in turn sell is a whole. It, it's a series of decisions decision points that entirely favor the corporate owners. At the very top of the whole process, when when our community was beginning to have public meetings, and the, the city council began to start talking in 2004 and start asking some questions, Georgia Pacific said, well, we'll have the state water board um, be the investigative agency to see if there are any cleanup issues there. It was a completely ludicrous process because the water board does not check soil samples, so they would never detect any of the real problem areas mm-hmm. that we all knew were right there out on the mill site. So we all went ballistic and said this is unacceptable, and there were many well-attended, I mean, town hall was bursting with people, and we fought this idea that the water board was an adequate agency to test the toxins out there. It turned out there was another agency called the, the Department of the State Department of Toxic Substances Control, mm-hmm. and this agency 
is the right agency to be involved. This was fought by um, Georgia Pacific and then the Koch brothers, but the state decided, no, the water board really isn't, you know, it's not cutting the mustard here. We got we got to get somebody who really looks at dioxins, who looks at heavy metals, who looks at petroleum distillates and their uh, problems out there. So then we got, and for many of us, this was considered one of our first victories out there. We got the State Department of Toxic Substance Control to come out and say, wait a minute here, folks, we're dealing with dioxins. We're dealing with an old mill. And... There's really no mystery here, Steve and Annie. Honestly, there's no mystery at all. This is a former, you know, for way over 100 years, mill site, and everybody knows there's serious toxins out there that must be dealt with. There are hundred in our country, there's over 500 abandoned mill sites because often corporate bad actors get away with the stuff that the Cokes are trying to do to our community. We have to fight back okay um that does remind me of a couple of other sites you know some people know inland here in the ukiah valley there are a couple of sites with these kind of questions about them actually one of them is a superfund site it was a uh, wood preservative uh, applying site on the east side of 101 um uh south of well actually just north of plant road so if if people are familiar with going over to the uh, transfer station you drive over the freeway and as soon as you get over the freeway on the east side to the north of that is a toxic site which is a super fun site and the other one is of course the well-known as the masonite site and you mentioned eir by the way that's something that that reminds me of something i want to mention to people and remind them on the air the um you know the removal of infrastructure uh, without approval of a plan for what the that same area will be for the future is not legal per sequa. And well, there was actually a lawsuit about that over the Masonite site. Now, the, the suit was against the county for approving the removal of the infrastructure there. The people that filed the suit live here in the Ukiah Valley, and they won the suit. Now, that's, that's the good fantastic. news. The bad news, yeah, the bad news that, is the damage was already done. Of course, GP removed all of its buildings, yeah. and the city approved all those buildings removal. Without any, without any plan, mention yeah, of that, 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 that ever having yeah, planned. Yeah, that may create a liable, liability for the city there. But okay, well, um, let's see. I want to go on to another point here. The um, uh, the new issue in early October uh, is how might the future of the mill site be affected by the state's thirty uh, thirty plan? Now that's a big big plan what the state has going now, but yeah. that's thirty percent of you know wildlands in the state uh, by twenty thirty. Um, do you see that affecting the future of the mill site? I really do. Um, I'm going to take this one because I've attended all the uh, these meetings of the North Coast 30 by 30. They're meeting in, a, in various regions in the state, but the North Coast region, uh, they're very exciting uh, because we actually have a lot of that land that is the wildlands that, that the state of California is thinking about in terms of the 30 by 30 program. The 30 by 30 program is about protecting and restoring wild spaces because um, it's, this is sort of a, a, a lukewarm version of a brilliant idea that E.O. Wilson, the recently passed uh, brilliant biologist uh, who was a hero to myself and many others, E.O. Wilson said, save half for nature. E.O. Wilson's vision was, 
worldwide we have to save 50% of the planet for wild and natural spaces. Otherwise, as a species, we're basically just, you know, cutting off the branch uh, that we live on <laughs> and destroying uh, life as we know it on the planet. So this is kind of a, a little bit watered-down version of that, but it's wonderful. I, I'm not exactly being critical. I just wish it was stronger. So with the 30 by 30 program, they are really looking at areas that have multiple benefits to our community and to the world at large. The benefits locally involve investing in the restoration and the um, rejuvenation, if you will, of wild spaces, many of which have been really trashed by timber harvest plans that were reckless and foolish, as we're seeing in our own community with the trail stewards' great work. Um, there there are creeks that have been trashed. There are oak wetlands, wetlands that need to be uh, restored and cared for better. Uh, and then what really pertains to our community is there is a growing awareness, and by growing I mean rapidly growing, about the carbon sequestration opportunities with restoring wetlands. So we have here on the mill site, if we get our act together as a community and force the right uh, outcomes here. We have an opportunity to benefit both financially and um, in terms of the economic benefit. I, I believe that the economic benefits to our region will be fantastic if we do this. If we restore these areas, there is, I really think there's no limit to what we can do in terms of becoming an area that is dealing with the climate crisis, but also dealing with our responsibilities as a you know as an apex species mm -hmm. to do the right thing by the environment and so the 30 by 30 program is a state endorsed program i don't know if there are many other things like this happening in the states but in california we're very lucky to have this 30 by 30 and i would encourage anybody who's listening there's so much out there about it this is something we should be talking to our elected officials about and to the California Coastal Commission about, because the 30 by 30 principles really are supporting everything that this community is trying to do in getting a proper cleanup and a restoration, an environmental restoration of those of this former mill site, which we prefer to call the Noyo Headlands. Mm -hmm. It's good to think of it like that holistically. Um, you are representing the environmental interests. We've had uh, two shows before on the subject that I'm aware of, just to remind listeners who maybe weren't here at the beginning. There was an hour interview with Robert Pannoli, who's the CEO of Mendocino Railways, and then there was a, another hour interview with a vice mayor, of Fort Bragg, Jessica Morsel Hayes. So there was those two perspectives, and now we're tonight hearing, luckily, the third perspective from our environmental community groups. And I, before I take calls, just in a few minutes, I would like to have a couple comments on the on a couple of legal issues which are up there in the air, debated online. Some of this is out on uh, social media. One of them was has have, or they both have to do with the. Uh, change in ownership, supposedly, of the property in uh, late November, I believe it was, through this eminent domain lawsuit. So one of the issues is, uh, in order to do that, the uh, railroad supposedly had to be a 
um, what, what's it called? A, just a, um, a passenger, well, uh, not, not an excursion train. Public utility. Public utility, or that's a, it. Thank uh, you. A major that's rail, yeah, commercial, yeah. Railroad, commercial so, railroad. Yeah. What can you tell us about that? <clears throat> well, it's pretty fallacious to think that the skunk train, not the skunk train, but the Mendocino Railway is a, is a commercial railroad. You know, they go four miles out of Fort Bragg. They haven't really connected the Willits in, in quite a while. And, um, you know, they're, they're an excursion tourist train. They're, they're not a commercial railroad. They were, you know, at one point, you know, 100 years ago, they were hauling uh, lumber out of here and taking it to Willis and it was going across the country. But that's been over for a very long time. In fact, there, we've even found instances in the past where um, the, the owners of, of the skunk train would, was in the California Western uh, Railway um, claimed that they were not a commercial railway because they didn't want to be under the aegis of the federal regulators who were control how, going to control how much they could charge oh. for tickets on their train. Mm-hmm. So that you know, it's a it's a pretty fallacious. And the city has a lawsuit now against them, saying, you know, that's ludicrous that you're saying that you're a railroad. <laughs> and I'm just, I would just like to reiterate a couple of important points that a local lawyer uh, sent to me. There was no sale of the mill site property, and that is one thing that uh, some of the uh, Mendocino Rail spokespeople get very fast and loose. They talk about it being a sale. There was no sale of the mill site in Pudding Creek Properties. Title did not transfer through any purchase and sale agreement and deed. Instead, there was a truly bizarre taking of the property by Mendocino Railway as set forth in stipulated settlement and judgment in an eminent domain lawsuit. So they're really full of it if they're saying they bought it. They took it, but what is probably the case, what is almost certainly the case, I'll go a little further, almost certainly the case, is that Georgia Pacific came to them and said, we have a deal for you. See, I think... The Mendocino Railway has been played, in my own opinion. Some people think I'm being too generous, you know, just calling them maybe fools here. Because, honestly, they are in a load of trouble here, and they're going to have a hard time getting out of it. And now they're responsible for tens of millions of dollars of cleanup. They're the first party in line. The second party in line remains the Koch brothers. But it complicates things immensely if this eminent domain taking is allowed to proceed. We can only hope that all of the efforts being done by us and by many people in our community to fight this, and you're going to hear me saying over and over again, contact your local officials, contact the Coastal Commission, contact the Attorney General's office. This is in, it, On one level, it's sort of absurd, but it's catastrophic for the future of our community if we allow this stuff to continue. And this eminent domain, this never would have happened if GP had not, well, GP Coke, had not already pre-approved, if you will, this transfer of ownership through this sleight of hand, this taking by eminent domain. Mm-hmm. I guess it's safe to say that the the city was blindsided by this. Yes, um, some absolutely. People... And and you heard that in in Jessica's interview. Yes, I mean, that's it was, right. It's that heartbreaking, was... mm-hmm. but and and it's very genuine too. I, I don't think she's. You know, these are not crocodile tears. This is this is so sad for those of us. 
I'm not saying feel sorry. I'm saying fight back. But this is such a tragedy for those of us who have worked so long on the great potential outcomes with the restoration and the, um, you know, the bringing back to life, if you will, of these beautiful headlands out there. And they are beautiful because one very positive thing that's been accomplished is that coastal trail, of course. And we can all see back how vast this property is and how there's plenty of room out there for significant wildlife corridors for restored creek, uh, daylighted creek area of mill, I, I call it, you know, the, the central parkland area. And there can still be some careful, very careful development building directly out from the town. But everybody knows who has taken uh, even a cursory look at this, that if you start throwing a bunch of development out on the mill site, all you're going to do is impoverish the downtown and offer nothing to anybody that it really has value in the long run for a, a community that is thinking about the future. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would like to um, open up the um, program to calls. The number Excellent. is eight nine five two four four eight. There's a few other things I want to cover with our guests, but again, eight nine five two four four eight. There was someone trying to get in anxiously early in the program, and again, just a few minutes ago. But uh, but now's the time, so I hope they're listening and give a call to eight nine five two four four eight. Um, one of the things that I had heard about, and I think it was mentioned by, oh, here comes our first call. Let's take this. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. From where are you calling? Oops, I'm still getting a. Caller, are you there? Hi, yes. What's your question? Hello? Hello. Oh, um, yeah, I called. I was trying to call earlier because the sound quality of this very wonderful and important show is not very good, and it's very hard to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of breathing and rasping, and anyway. Is it too soft, or is it, is it loud enough, though? It's loud enough, but it's muffled, and it's um, you can hear people breathing into the phone. Okay. I don't know. It just it isn't. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. Oh, that might be our fault. <laughs> yeah, we do have a guest who's, uh, we know they're breathing. <laughs> and thank you for saying it's an important show. We feel it is. Oh, it is. It, it's been very, it's been fascinating, and I appreciate all the work that's gone into uh, by everybody who's speaking. I just have one quick question. Um, is the water, the the amount of water that would be available for any development out there, is that a, a factor? Oh, it's in, a huge uh, factor. One of, one of the reasons why... GP, it's a huge factor, and and okay. um, I'll take my answer off the air. Okay, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and we're sorry about the breathing. I've got a huge ridge back by, beside me that's breathing quite loudly, actually. <laughs> um, so no, the the uh, the issue is huge, and the city um, has tried to make that clear to people. But Georgia Pacific, you know, um, was really ignoring all that because. Well, they, I agree with Jim that they never actually intended to develop the property at all. They were trying to set up a, a cute little package for resale for real estate developers or whomever. And so they always fluffed the water issue. There is not anywhere close to enough water to do the uh, plans that, is be, that are being discussed so 
recklessly, I think, by the Mendocino Railway. They do not have enough water to do what they're talking about. They lost their water rights. Georgia Pacific now lost the water rights because they did nothing for so many years. And so those water rights have reverted to the state of California. So you see, we're getting into, you know, we're getting into the Mm minutiae, but what this whole thing is about in terms of the eminent domain transfer, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. what this whole thing is about is trying to make it more complicated to get that cleanup accomplished. Mm -hmm. That's really where they're at. You know, Coke Industries even states in one in a book, I think it's called The Coke Way or something, mm-hmm. Charles Coke talks about how it's better to pay the fines than do the cleanup. Mm-hmm. Because we live in a regulatory environment that is entirely favorable to corporations. So what we really need to do is have state agencies come at these corporations mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, with some teeth and really start fining them because once they start fining them oh for example back in 2007 the state department of toxic substances control remember they'd only been on the case for a couple of years were shocked they were saying and they threatened $35,000 a day fine on Georgia Pacific owned by the Koch brothers so they've never enforced that fine so, I mean, you know, if you're going to talk about but not anything, this is not helpful. Okay. So I'm also hearing a lot of interference on the line. I don't know what's happening. Uh, Steve, th- those are me I hope putting we're two, call- yeah, two callers on hold. Let me take the first one here. Hello, sure. caller. You're live on the air. What's your question? Hi there. Yeah, I had a question about what um, kind of the classification of the site as being under the uh, state agency of toxic control or, or whatever that's called versus um, like the EPA like is there a way of getting it reclassified as a super fun site or is that desirable at all um, I do see that there's like a consent decree entered into by the previous owner of the railroad with the state agency saying they will clean things up but it seems like if push came to shove they might argue that if it's a railroad purpose the state agency should not <laughs> be regulating it and like, it possible, just seems like yeah. a crazy labyrinth but um i wondered if there was some way we could kick it up to the federal level or whether that's desirable or not okay anyway, so Jim, you want to take that call, I'll, well i'll drop um, you here you know it, it, state is is who has jurisdiction over the cleanup the, uh, the feds don't really deal with that epa is, is a you know a broad uh, National policy type of uh, network, and and the Superfund, the there aren't really any Superfund sites anymore because the Superfund is broke, and uh, they can be designated as brownfields. There are certainly a lot of those, but there's no more federal money to fix it up, and they never wanted to fix up sites where they had a responsible party like Georgia Pacific. That's that, that's really the key here. I think yeah. it's probably inappropriate to be talking about. Um, government support for the cleanup. Now, this does happen if criminal intent to avoid a cleanup can be proven. So that raises an interesting possibility, doesn't mm-hmm. it? After 20 years, do you think we might be able to prove that they have no intention of ever cleaning it up? You know, this is an interesting question. Mm-hmm. But also, the um, 
State or DTSC, the State Department of Toxic Substances Control, is under the Cal EPA, mm-hmm. and Cal EPA can often be very, very tough. And so, this is one of the things we are encouraging people to do: is to contact Cal EPA, contact the State Department of Toxic Substances Control, contact the Attorney General, get the word out, because as Steve mentioned earlier, and I really appreciate that he brought this up, the question of community acceptance is central to how any state agency will deal with their responsibilities for cleanup or mitigation or what have you. So if our community shows unequivocally that we are opposed to this land grab, this 272 acres plus, let's not forget, 73 acres in the Pudding Creek watershed. I mean, that is a beautiful, really wonderful space that the city had been working on for years to try to preserve as a parkland area. Mm-hmm. And they were working with some uh, notable nonprofits in this. They were also trying to get, you know, insurance policies so they could handle if there were any cleanups issues that came up. So, I mean, this whole contention that we get from the people in Mendocino Railway, that nothing was being done for 20 years is so offensive and so idiotic that it really kind of is gobsmacking. Honestly, this community has been intensely involved in this, not always happy with outcomes or what has happened, but this community cares about what happens on the, mid, on the mill site, former mill site, on the headlands, and in the Pudding Creek watershed. Mm-hmm. This is not Mendocino Railway coming to save our community. This is a bunch of hogwash uh, well, when they talk that way. Let's see what the next caller has to say. Hold on there a moment. And caller, you are live on the air. What's your question? Uh, thank you for taking Yeah, sorry call. about you're on the hold for several minutes there. Thank you for being uh, that's patient. Right. That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to uh, be able to talk. I've been uh, a big fan and friend of a skunk train over the past decades, I'll say past, and now I'm kind of wondering what it's all about. I hope somehow we can keep preserving this. But my question is regards to the agency that's in charge of the rail. Is it a Railroad Commission, kind of like Caltrans, kind of like Cal Fire. The Surface Transportation Board, the federal. Yeah, and, federal and how much power and how much, you know, the, how how much teeth are involved there versus all the environmental laws, and it seems like the skunk train may be hiding behind that or using that as their defense. And I wonder if you could elaborate on that a little bit. And I'm going to, uh, Jim, you want to? Or you well, want to? Okay, I'll, I'll drop you your hand know, on a second. We have. A- we got a lot of information out of the, uh, the transportation, the surface board. Uh, the can I make one? Can I make one comment board. to start up? Yeah. Up on, I'm going to comment to start up because what the caller said is about the skunk train possibly hiding behind blah blah blah. And I want to clear, draw a clear line between the skunk train as the skunk train. That's the rail line and a little bit of acreage to service it, et cetera, at, at both ends, uh, either in Willits or in Fort Bragg. But that's different from the Mendocino Railway. Railroad Company, although the Mendocino Railroad Company does own the skunk train, but the mill site area and the mill site that we're really discussing is, uh, you know, some of it is owned by, maybe now much of it is owned by the Mendocino Railroad Company. So it's they and what they're doing is at issue here, not the skunk train per se. 
Yeah, we, we, we all love the scoop. We yeah. all love the scoop. Yes. We've been, you know, I, I was just on it just a few months ago. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be able to use and to have, but it's not. They are not the ones that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Though I would like them to clean up their stinky train. You know, that's funny the way they, they, they use the term stinker, but there's a lot of evidence that this kind of diesel smoke is extremely toxic and bad for people. Mm-hmm. And just uh, yesterday, no, I guess it was today, I saw online some photographs of how, you know, the smoke from the train is just wafting over the people in the open-air car. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's and, and neighbors uh, of the skunk train in the neighborhood adjacent to the skunk train. There are a lot of complaints about the soot and the mess and the lack of cleanup there. It's really funny because one of our local citizens has been uh, pressing them about their messes on the uh on their four acres right now i don't know if, if the scale of this is so monumentally absurd the skunk train operation is currently happening on four acres that is four my understanding acres. Uh, that, that is and the that is the west end acres in, yeah, that, i mean basically or they want way over three you know i mean these guys are are they megalomania i don't know i don't know you know uh, let's not make accusations on the air uh, that could be dangerous yeah, <laughs> one fine. of the and, things about sierra <laughs> Sierra Energy is they love to sue. Oh, I don't they know about sue. that. But if that's, you, if that's you go a... out to the Internet and look at Sierra Energy mm-hmm. and lawsuits, they just love lawsuits. Well, so Sierra Energy everyone is... should be careful about what you say about them because they're tough customers. Well, okay. Now, that's that's a little bit of a tangent because the uh, we haven't talked about the fact that Mendocino Railway is owned by yes, thank Sierra. You. Thanks, Sierra yeah. Railroad Company, I think it's called. And then yeah, that, Sierra, well, Sierra Energy, Energy owns Mendocino, as, as I understand it, from looking at their uh, convoluted corporate uh, stuff that's online. Mm-hmm. Sierra Energy owns Sierra Railroad, uh, owns Mendocino Railway, and then um, Mendocino Railway purchased this little tourist line that runs for four miles uh, called... Uh, actually, it was called California Western Railroad when mm-hmm. they purchased it. Mm-hmm. And Jim brought up the thing that I'm just going to reiterate because I think it's so great. People are talking about this being a legitimate railroad. Well, California Western Railroad made it very clear they didn't want to be called a legit railroad because then rates and fares would all be controlled by an yeah, agency, and they, they wanted mm-hmm. to be able to charge whatever they felt like charging. Mm-hmm. Uh Many would say some pretty exorbitant rates, um, well, uh, and th- so they said, "No, we're not a railroad." So then, now Mendocino Railway comes in and buys it and says, "Hey, we're a railroad." Uh-huh. You know, it's kind of like a circus act, actually. Well, that gets back to the issue whether this is a, a done deal or not. Um, by the way, let me mention again the number here to call. We do have enough time for another call or two: eight nine five two four four eight. If you'd love to get in on the, and ask any questions or make a comment on the air. Um, it's, it's been said, I've heard the claim, this is a done deal as far as the uh, 272 acres that wrong. were uh, uh, transferred. Uh, so totally uh, what's, wrong. what's your two cents? Well, it's not a done deal. Uh, okay. No, Steve. No, I mean, don't, you know, this, this reminds me of George Lakoff. We shouldn't be repeating these absurdities mm-hmm. that the, the some of the spokespeople are repeating because we're just reinforcing their incorrect information. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, honestly, uh, I'm glad we've talked a little bit about the restoration in 30 by 30 and the really positive outcomes. But, you know, in, even even if the city – so some people are saying – 
this afternoon I was at a gathering where we were having tea and cookies and blah, 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 and people were saying, why doesn't the city just go after the entire property with eminent domain? The city has much more credibility uh, claiming eminent domain rights than the uh, Mendocino Railway, by okay. far. But short of that, if we say, okay, well, they've got 77 acres plus the property they purchased from Tom Honer, which they're not going to be able to do anything on, well, maybe four and a half acres of which they can do something on, the rest of that property could still be a gorgeous central parkland area with daylighted creeks. Remember, right, if, if we were sitting right there, you know, uh, like sort of red, if you think of Redwood Avenue and looking south across the parkland area, which is restored now, remember, with our beautiful creeks and everything, mm -hmm. the Noyo Center for Marine Science is going to build a gorgeous building over there. Um, uh, well, they have plans to do that, but there are other ideas of educational institutions and things that could happen on the headlands that would foster a restorative vision for our community and for the head. But then this backward troglodyte vision of rails going everywhere, the stinky diesels going everywhere. And, you know, I mean, the other thing, Steve, that I've told you this afternoon a little bit, the Coastal Commission is not going to allow most of what the skunk train has shown us. But that is no reason for complacency, folks, because we have to stop them and show that there is no community acceptance for this abominable idea. Okay, let us, let's take a pause. There is one caller that wants to get in. I'd like to get, get in our last sure. call. Hold on a moment. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. What is your question? Uh, hi, uh, this is uh, Chris Hart with the uh, Mendocino Railway. And, oh, good. Hello. Um, hi. Uh, hi, George. Hi, uh, hi Jim. Uh, I, I just want to say I, I realize uh, there's a lot of uh, speculation about our actions, but I just want to say um, you, earlier you said DTSC is the right agency to do it. Um, when we reopened the bankrupt skunk train in 2000. Four, we did take on a DTSC project, which we completed. We have since we bought the north end. We are three years into remediation on the north end. And I know there's a lot of questions and speculation, but I'm here just to say tonight that we fully intend to do the DTSC-guided uh, remediation in the south. And I know um, there may be a lot of discussion and, and questions about it, but I just thought I'd call and let you know uh, I fully intend to do it. There has been no backroom deals with GP. Okay, you, okay. you've heard it from the horse's mouth there. There it is. Okay, thank you. That's right, uh, Chris Hart with uh, Sierra Energies, which owns the, the Mendocino Railway, which owns the skunk. Which owns the country. Um, although it's the railway that is, uh, 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 obtains acreage of the, of the mill site. Now, I didn't want to put him on the spot, you know, like, well, what happens if it's, you know, just astronomically many more millions that are available? You know, I just, I, I don't know. And that's, that, uh, that's a generic question with a generic answer. It doesn't make a difference that it's the, the railway or, or anybody else, it, you know, may, who, who has deep pockets to fund it, this kind of thing. Well, let's hear but, what Jim and George have to say about yeah. Chris Hart's <laughs> Jim, you want to, uh, well, no, you go ahead, George. Well, I mean, I think, so I'm glad Chris called in. That's good. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it sounds wonderful what Chris is saying. 
I would say that you'd have to look more closely at their record. Uh, I alluded to one incident that happened recently that, uh, you know, I mean, their record speaks for itself, and um, they may be less pernicious than I was describing because it is hard to say about backroom deals. I think that's, you know, maybe he's uh, trying to mount a defense there. I don't think we heard much of a defense. Well, there is um, there's just a history in the few years that we've had a chance to watch their behavior here uh, of not cleaning up. I mean, the mess out at the end of the line, at the end of those four miles, the mess out there in a building, as far as I know, I've heard, again, um, I'm not the person who does the permits, but I've heard that they built a bunch of stuff out there without permits. I know that they're in legal actions right now between the California Coastal Commission and the uh, Mendocino Railway. They're fighting over lot line adjustments that the Coastal Commission said, okay, folks, you know, you need to get a permit to do this stuff. And they said, no, you don't. We don't have to do that. We're a railroad. So that has echoes of the concern that you've heard from us tonight. Mm -hmm. They're already saying they don't have to do what normal citizens have to do because they're a railroad. So I really appreciate that Chris called in because, as I said before, one very possible outcome is that the community will take back the 72 acres and the 73 acres that were this this recent uh, land grab. But the skunk train, Mendocino Railway, will still be an entity that we're dealing with. And I assure you, we will show up at the meetings and we will be there telling you what we like and what we don't like about your plans. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I want to keep a community dialogue going. That is absolutely the best way for our community to move forward. And I think Jim probably wants to say something. Well, let me me interrupt here so we can clarify in the last minute or so, which is all we have left, what what you would like listeners to do. You've mentioned some of that. I want to mention a few websites to contact you guys. There is the uh, www.grassroots-institute.org. And there's a group at the Noyo Headlands, that's www.noyo, N-O-Y-O, headlands.org. And uh, and third, since I brought it up earlier in the program, the Cali- the 30 by 30 program, you can do a web search on that, but, you, but it'll take you to uh, www.californianature.ca.gov slash pages slash 30x30. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.